Welcome to the Grandmother Podcast. Just a brief reminder while it's up in front of you to please leave a five-star rating if you enjoy the show. And if you're feeling generous, to subscribe and to leave a review as well. We love your feedback and it goes a long way towards helping the algorithms and getting us out to more people. And for more, you can follow along at Grandmother Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. My name is Brian Peoples, and today we're doing something a little bit different. We're speaking with Jessa Reed. She's a comedian and host of the Awakening OD podcast, former host of Soberish and Mormon and the Meth Head. She has been featured on Comedy Central's This Is Not Happening. She has a stand-up special out with Epics, and she's also the grandmother of a four-year-old. So quite frankly, I didn't think he had the capacity to ask her the kinds of questions that she needs to be asked because she's a very unique person. So... (laughs) First of all, how have you been? I haven't seen you in three years. I know. This is weird. This is a weird way for us to reunite. I would say comedian in air quotes. I, I haven't done comedy in a really long time. I'm semi-retired. I don't know what made me think that this was the place to come out of retirement, but it's good to see you. When's the last time I saw you? 2019? Yeah, we were recording weekly for a while. And uh, somewhere along the way, I found out that you had just moved to Tennessee. Yeah. So uh, I think that's roughly how things kind of ended between us. Oh, no, 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 no. Not, oh, no. It's, be honest with the audience out here. What know, happened was you were, the, you were the producer of the illustrious Soberish podcast in which, can I tell the truth of what we, in which you would sneak, in, <laughs> sneak me into <laughs> your studio uh, where you worked late at night and we would interview guests about addiction. We did that for a couple months. And then I, in very just a form, decided I didn't want to do a podcast about addiction. So then we switched it to aliens and higher consciousness. And then you bailed because you, you suddenly became a big shot podcast guy and went and worked at an actual podcast studio which you couldn't sneak me into because they had some sort of card thing or whatever. And I didn't want to be at a network. So I just went and started recording at a TV tray in my apartment in Glendale. And then you were off doing important podcaster stuff. And I moved and you didn't notice that I moved for a (laughs) year and a half. Is that, I think that's a little bit closer (laughs) to what happened. Um, Abandonment. Raw, unmitigated abandonment. And then, yeah. At the same time, the pay wasn't great. It was a lot of work. (laughs) We didn't release a lot of the episodes that we uh, recorded and edited. So, uh, you know, win some, lose some. Yeah. (laughs) Was there any pay? Um, Uh, Yeah, here and there, you'd Venmo me some money. and uh, But I, I did lose some equipment along the way, so... We're square as long as oh, my I did labor doesn't your, count for anything. I did break your recorder. Did I ever replace that? No. Um, I am a horrible person, but it is never intentional. It's just That's I fine. can't keep track of time or experiences. I'll I will Amazon you a Zoom recorder right now. I actually have. I'll send you one. You have oh, this you don't fancy have to. shit. 
I'm recording on a new recorder, so oh. no need for any of that. But cool. I appreciate the gesture, and well, I realize that you don't view, uh, you know, anything in the same way that anyone else does. So that's why yeah. we're here today. Let's see if we can segue into the show now that we've gotten all our banter out of the way. You were doing a podcast. You were working your way into another podcast. And so I became the producer for that. And so we snuck in at night. We did all of that. And um, I think there was a friendship in the middle for like a year, right? Yeah. And so you already kind of touched on how the show quickly went from sobriety to aliens and dimension jumping and things like that. And and we'll get to that. First of all, what led you to leave California? The pandemic started and I intuitively knew that's not where I wanted to be during the pandemic. So I was like, I'm going, I had just recently fallen in love like a couple months prior with someone who lived in Tennessee. So I was like, I'm going to go see what happens out there. And then I came out here and I immediately got Lyme disease. I was like, I'll run from COVID and immediately get Lyme disease. I also think I may have had it when I got here. So yeah, I got bit by a tick and spent the next year and a half locked in the house and bedridden. And to be honest, the only thing that got me through that was knowing that nobody else was doing anything. That was the only thing. (laughs) Just knowing like I wasn't missing anything. I could be sick because everyone's at home fighting on the internet where I can see them. Makes a lot of sense. So you moved to Tennessee. You start a new show, obviously, with somebody else. Why did you choose to start a new show instead of continuing it with Soberish, since it had already evolved into something entirely different? Um, Because it meant nothing without you. Aww. <laughs> Are they, all right, so what's the punchline? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you know, well, what Soberish turned into was a originally was this kind of journey of me coming out and publicly talking about consciousness because that was something that had been a huge part of my life for 20 years. And it was something I talked about on podcasts, but I always talked about it in a way that you couldn't tell that I still currently subscribed to that or was experiencing that. So Soberish was this journey of me starting to embrace that part of myself and and talk about that. And it kind of happened at a time when the world was going nuts and I had kind of predicted what was coming. And then I ended up with followers. I ended up with people that had expectations of me and I didn't really know what to do. This was my first time having any sort of platform. It wasn't something I was looking for, you know, and there was this really weird line where I was like, hey, I'm just a comedian shitbag with some crazy takes. And I like the idea of validating people who are having awakening experiences also, but I have never had any interest in being anyone's guru or having people base their life on what I say. That's terrifying to me. And so I just had a a series of uncomfortable experiences around that. I thought that I had kind of created a, I feared that I had created a codependent relationship with people that listen to that podcast, but I still enjoy talking about this stuff. So I ditched that podcast and I created AOD, which is just me, it's just by myself. And it's me playing an eighth dimensional ambassador to earth who's just helping people through this process. And it's comedy. And the other one had become too serious. Everything became so serious. I mean, I was sick for most of it. I had Lyme disease for most of Soberish. And yeah, I just, I'm also just someone who has to change things all the time. Half the shit I do, I do it once. And then I go, no, I don't want to do that either. Which was like, I was in LA to try to make TV shows. And then I tried for five minutes and was like, no, I don't like this either. So Some of it's just my normal thing, but the, yeah, it just wasn't, I didn't like what it became. So I created something else. Do you think the Lyme disease aspect colored what you were doing? Yeah. Like internally spiraling or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, I had, I mean, 2020, nobody had a good time. Right. So we were all pretty much facing our own darkness, but I had neurological Lyme disease. So it had a massive impact on my mind, my memory still to this day. Like when we talked about what we were going to talk about here, I'm like, I don't know if I can tell any of those old stories. I had a complete memory dump 
at one point it was so bad where I couldn't even access like my personality. So I didn't even know who I was. It was really intense. It was a really intense experience. And I never recovered all of the memories and I lost massive files of vocabulary and references and stuff. It's kind of why I haven't even bothered to get back into stand-up is I'm I'm just kind of waiting for that to come back online if it ever does. But yeah, it had a massive impact on on everything. But mostly the isolation of it all? It's not no, so no, much no. the like Lyme. No, 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 like the parasite in your brain, like damaging your your brain. So neurological oh, wow. Lyme disease, it was like brain fog to where I couldn't finish sentences. I still had yeah. a Patreon somehow through that. Those people were just, <laughs> it was some sort of charity, some sort of active GoFundMe, <laughs> I guess, because I can't, I can't go back and listen to anything I've done, even things I like. But I, no, I couldn't. There were days I could I didn't know what day it was. I couldn't. I, and I it didn't feel like I was ever going to get out of it. And it took me months to even start to be able to try to find a doctor because you have to be able to research. And I would look at the phone to Google and like couldn't even comprehend what was happening on the phone. It's a wild disease. So one thing you're known for, probably the thing you're most known for is your first stand-up bit that you did on This Is Not Happening, a Comedy Central show. You did a story called Meth P, which is all about your journey through using meth for a while and how you got out of it. So um, that has a lot to do with the way, I don't know, I view your work and the way you function and behave a lot of the time. I just kind of go... Function in air quotes. And of course, you've been sober for a long time. But around what point did you start experiencing the idea of these aliens and dimension jumping and these sorts of things that weren't covered in that? Um, Dimension jumping is relatively new, actually, but I started, I got accidentally addicted to math. I'll cliff notes for people that don't know, but I accidentally got addicted to math. I was just a, a young, young comedian on the road, kind of recklessly doing, you know, drinking and drugs. And I accidentally got addicted to meth in 99. Then I just kind of left society and just did that exclusively in 2000, January of 2000. I had a near-death experience where I went to some, I don't know, blue ball of lights and then started dreaming of aliens and having contact with higher dimensional beings. And they told me a lot of stuff about how reality was about to shift and what that was going to look like. And it felt true to me. It felt like this, I don't know, the reality that had been presented to me never felt true. So this was a confirmation of sorts. And then I spent about five years pretty intensely in conversation with those beings, which is easy to do when you're high as fuck on meth. And then, I don't know, do you cuss on this podcast? Anyway, of course you have me on. (laughs) Then I got clean and that stuff kind of went away for about a year and a half. And I think so I could just focus on learning how to exist in the world. And then it came back and I just lived as a normal person doing normal people things in reality while also having entire conversations with aliens that nobody else can see. And then in around 2017, 2018, reality started to do all of the things that they said would happen. And in the last five years, I've learned about a lot of stuff that I never knew about before, specifically things like timelines and, you know, multiple parallel realities, a lot of things that are becoming increasingly like less woo and more mainstream every day. We're all starting to go, oh, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when we were doing a show together, one thing that I don't think was ever really addressed was Do you think that this whole world of dimensions and aliens and what have you, would you consider it a net positive? Because it was sort of, you know, there's an enlightenment aspect to it. That's kind of why it is blowing up now. People feel like they have some sort of control over the universe in that way. But if you had to do it all over again and you could choose not to have that in your life, do you think that would have been a good thing? No, no. No. Like, would I take the blue pill? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. I mean, I think 
some of the stuff I learned on Soberish, like I realized like while we were doing that podcast, but there was a point where I thought awakening was this huge mission and it felt like some sort of finish line. And the more I, I don't know, the more I see, the more I understand, the more I am able to hold paradox, you know, I realized that we are just, and this is just my understanding of it, but consciousness just is, and it just is forever. And we are all part of one big giant imagination that is just like creating universes and experiencing them and then collapsing them and then creating another one and going to sleep and forgetting and then remembering and then going back and then we split apart and then we come together and it just goes on and on and on for goddamn forever. And that's why we're all so tired, you know, and that there really is no destination and that it really doesn't even matter. Like nothing matters, which is liberating. And also like who gives a shit? So I would take consciousness over unconsciousness any day, but, you know, if that was true, then we would never be unconscious. So I think it's the remembering is fun. The going to sleep is probably fun. And, you know, unconsciousness has its role as well. I do believe that we are going through some sort of collective remembering. And that's why the dream that we are all sharing is getting so wacky. I mean, Pretty fucking yeah. wacky, right? Yeah. So I just don't think things fit in a box of good or bad. And that's a lot of what we're trying to learn right now is we keep trying to categorize things as yes or no, good or bad, light or dark, you know? And it's like reality just keeps pushing us back in, figure it out. So would I trade the last 20 years? No, it's been pretty chill. It's been pretty cool. Do you think that, and I don't know if this directly contradicts or directly complements what you're already experiencing, believing, do you think that you have free will? That seems to be a conversation in the zeitgeist of philosophers, psychologists, that sort of thing these days. And I'm curious what your take on that would be. Yeah. So to a certain extent, I think that each one of us that believe ourselves to be an individual, we are connected to a collective. And you know, here on earth, we are sharing a dream, but then in smaller, you know, we are also sharing a dream within the American society and then in our smaller local societies and then the groups that we choose to create a collective with on the internet, you know, and each of those things has its own consciousness, its own kind of rules, its own kind of moral compass, and also how reality is created. I do not subscribe to the new age belief that you're creating reality with your thoughts. However, I do believe that you are largely creating your reality, mostly through the narrative that you choose to write about the experiences in your life, many of which are neutral, and then we superimpose or like projects meaning onto it. So I do also believe that reality runs on some sort of algorithm, and you can shift the algorithm by investing or divesting your attention from certain things. But I do not think like, I want a mansion, thinking that in your head, like manifest a mansion, you know, which I think is just this kind of, um, and then we're also very, like most of us are programmed, all of us are programmed with certain things, most of which don't serve us. Right. And so because of that, we are mostly creating things that we don't enjoy And there's something to that. Why are we doing that? You know, so I do believe we create reality. I do believe we have free will. However, I do believe we are co-creating the reality, which means I don't believe you, your free will means you get to micromanage every aspect of the reality that you live in. So is it predetermined or my answer would probably be different at different times in the day, because I think it's both. Yeah. I started a clip yesterday on this topic, and I couldn't get through it. I got a few minutes in and I went, okay, well, this is already too complicated. And it's like a three hour (laughs) video. So I'm never gonna (laughs) grasp the whole thing. But the general idea was you can feel like you have some sort of free will. And like speaking to that side of it, if you feel like you have free will, that is an illusion. Because you don't have control over what your next thought is going to be about the next thing. Yeah. So just inherently, you're always 
subservient to whatever sort of strange consciousness is happening in your head and you can never really escape that. Yeah, so I think that this is where consciousness and unconsciousness comes in. So I'm defining, I've stopped saying awake and asleep because that now, like words exist for a little while and then we get all sort of stupid connotations attached to them and then I have to switch words. So by unconsciousness, I would mean you are believing that reality is real and that it's happening to you. And so the video game is happening and you're very much immersed in it and that's fine. And then occasionally we become conscious, which means we realize that we are conscious co-creators of the reality. We're not so immersed in it. Have you ever played any VR video games? No. Okay. So you hear people talking about the veil, right? It's the veil of reality. And when you do psychedelics, it thins the veil, right. right? So I put on some VR goggles and it's... It wasn't a game, but it's just one of the first features. You walk out onto a plank on top of a like 50-story building, and then you have to walk off. Now, in my conscious mind, I know that this is my living room floor, and I am not about to step off of a building. I know that in my conscious mind, but my body is in fight or flight. And it's like, I cannot take that step. And it's so funny. You're like, oh my God, I cannot step over a foot because I, my body believes I'm about to fall off of this building. What would be the idea of that game? Just because it's trippy as fuck. You just have this goggle in your, in your living room. And there's another one where oh, like yeah. a spider runs at you. And I've watched people just like throw themselves <laughs> across the room to get away from the spider. Nightmare. And this is when I realized that the veil is our senses. It is the visceral reality. We can know that reality is not real and that we are eternal, infinite beings, infinite consciousness, just having a human experience. But that veil is the visceral experience. So what I can see, touch or taste, feel, smell, is having such a profound visceral impact on my perception that it kind of puts me to sleep. Like it, I, that's what feels very real. So I don't know if I'm making any sense because I have not been podcasting a lot for this reason because I feel like I'm not making any sense. But so consciousness is becoming aware of ourself, our ego, our shadow, which are the things about yourself you don't know. Becoming aware of the fact that reality is projection-based, which means I have a projector inside of me that is projecting a version of you that if I wrote it out, probably would not resonate with the version of you that you know to be true, definitely for you. And you're playing a character, you know, like you're playing a character in my life that I need to experience. And likewise, you're doing that with me. So when we become aware of these things, we are able to slowly say, oh, okay. Like I used to have like a rejection complex that I would project onto everyone else. So if you didn't answer my text, it wasn't because you were busy. It was because I did something wrong. Like now you're mad at me, you know, and then I would, and so I have since become aware of that. I used to get kind of shitty with people who I perceived as rejecting me. And now I understand that's a projection of mine. And I stopped letting it affect my relationship. So that's consciousness. We used to just consume, consume, consume and hurt the earth and live completely out of balance with the earth, but we are collectively becoming conscious of that and that this is not sustainable. We're becoming consciously aware of social issues and the imbalances in the power structures. So this is consciousness. This is where we are waking up and realizing that like, while we were dead asleep and really only perceiving the world through that visceral ego experience, we've all been gigantic bags of shit. And now we have an opportunity to change things. So I think your free will is intact in as, in as much as you are conscious. But I think when you, in areas in which you are unconscious, you're driven by forces that like you don't even understand, programming and trauma and whatnot. So to kind of round this out a little bit, it seems like an overwhelming existence to have all of these kinds of ideas in your head all the time. <laughs> And based on my projection of you, it certainly seems to wear on you. Like it sort of builds and builds and builds. You kind of reach these higher levels of consciousness or whatever. And then it becomes a whole lot. But I'm wondering (laughs) what, and you just got to shut the whole thing down for a little bit. But what has been your strategy in sort of, let's say that somebody does follow the same sort of path. 
they get these ideas in their head. Maybe they've been listening to your show or they're Marianne Williamson's fans or something. And, and they're exploring <laughs> these ideas. It's becoming a lot. What do you do to sort of relax and put it out of your head so you don't just go absolutely insane thinking like, what dimension am I in today? I'm probably way oversimplifying and almost disrespecting the concept of all of this by saying that, but I <laughs> simply don't understand or remember it. So no, I think that that's how do very you important exist in that headspace. Yeah, I think that's very important. And I think that also had a lot to do with like what Soberish ended up kind of becoming for me was this need to be on this shit 24 seven. And I'm really not. I mean, if you know me, we hung out during my midlife crisis, so I was a little more off the rails than who I am, who I was previous and who I am since I've settled back down. I mean, that was an interesting post-divorce 41-year-old in LA acting out, but I um, live life, you know, I live, I live here and I do believe that you know, are we aliens who planted ourselves here? Who gives a shit? Like if I'm on earth, I want to experience what earth has to offer for me right now. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's nature. That's not a corner of <laughs> reality. I had ever <laughs> fucked with before. Um, I've been bitten by five ticks trying to, but that's where I'm at right now. But it's been arts you know, put it away, let it come back and find you. If consciousness is triggering like a playful curiosity, cool. I don't think there's any need to have this shit figured out. And it it appears as if this collective awakening is happening all over the place and that it is relatively involuntary. Like it's like, um, you know, the mechanism of like giving birth, your body just knows what to do and just kind of kicks into it. So I also don't subscribe to, I know some of this stuff sounds new age, but I do not resonate with the kind of new age idea that you need to be in this like perpetual state of high vibe or healing or whatever. It's just kind of like vibe with it when you vibe with it and don't when you don't, but don't forget to like look down at your feet and live the life that you are in you know, experience, you came here to experience being a human, like be a human. Yeah. And to your credit, that is, I think that I would say the, the value that you've brought to my life is that you were sort of this affirmation that you can, in fact, just drop whatever you're doing, follow your heart, your dreams, what have you, and have it all work out. You're someone who could say, Today, I'm going to move and I'm going to be a tarot card reader. And I go, oh, my God, I cannot believe that's possible. That's outrageous. And I mean, I do honestly think about it a lot because I'm yeah. constantly in the state of just existential crisis. My 20s through now have all been a midlife crisis. You're wound pretty tight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what would you suggest for somebody in their 30s like me who's kind of having trouble keeping up with changing times and figuring out exactly what they want in the world? What would I suggest? Just find a way to chill because it's the collapse of civilization. Just relax. You don't need to figure out the entirety of your life right now. Figure out the next 18 months and do that a few times. And then when we have a completely different setup of reality to live in, then you can go, what am I going to do? But you can ask that question from something other than your internalized capitalism. So we have all these ideas that your worth is connected to your productivity and that, you know, your purpose is connected to what you do for a living. But those are all, that's somebody else's story that's been fed into us to keep us on, on some sort of like hamster wheel that doesn't benefit us in any way, shape or form. So right now, literally the shit's collapsing. I mean, I don't, you can agree with that. Have you been to like a grocery store or I, on the internet? Right. I can agree. It's, it's falling apart. Nothing's yeah. It's great. not good. Yeah. It's not going to exist like this in five years. So right now we are in a massive transition. I believe is going to be for the positive. I believe the things we have seen that are out of balance are just going to cease to exist. Right. So we've all said, okay, consumerism is not great. Well, what if consumerism just simply isn't an option anymore because the things that we're propping it up are falling apart? It's becoming increasingly more difficult to be a consumer, right? Because there's no shit. It's falling apart. 
So we are being brought back into balance, I believe. I am a chronic optimist, but I think we have growing pains to get there. So I think the next five years are about transition and checking with yourself, like, how can I support myself through this transition? How can I use the energy of transition as sort of like wind at my back to transition out of the things that I'm not resonating with? How can I be of service in a way that's real and true to me, to people who I know are struggling? Because there are a lot of people struggling. So I think that each person has something to bring to the table and that might be different for different people, but like, how can I affect change in a way that resonates with me and be of service to people? Like, what do I have that I can provide other people, whether that's knowledge, time, financial resources, whatever, all three, and see it as a labor process, right? So a a person who's in labor is not like, you know, trying to figure out what they're going to do at work next week. They're in labor. It's like, this is what I'm trying to do. And we don't know what the world's going to look like on the other side of this. I have some, some theories, but they're probably wrong. So all we know is this is where we're at right now. Trying to build something or climb a ladder in a collapsing thing is that's, it's collapsing energy. So it's like, what can I collapse? And what can I envision for something new that's more efficient and just not taking anything very seriously? Cause it's, you'll go nuts right now taking things seriously. This is a, this is not a linear time. This is not a point in history where anything makes sense. This is not an easy time to be alive if you are someone who struggles with change. You know, I think the people who love change are definitely having an easier ride right now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So when I had met you, you were already a grandmother. And I didn't know that for some time, but I'm beginning to learn about it. At what point did you become a grandmother and what has that experience been like for you? You're very young to be a grandmother, by the way. I I should add that in somewhere in the show. Thank you. Finally. I was 17 when I had my oldest daughter and she was 24. So I think I was 40. I was 40. Maybe I was 41 when he was born. This is 2018. Yeah. So... I just turned 41 and yeah, I think we met shortly after that. We were friends for a while. This is, (laughs) this is the revelation of this podcast is, are you saying we weren't friends? Anyway? Yeah. So I, it sucks, but I was living in Delaware 
with my family and I got the offer for this is not happening. And I just felt like I needed to be in LA for a bit. So I'd already started dismantling my entire suburban homeschooling housewife mother life in Delaware to move into a tiny ass apartment in Glendale and then found out that my daughter who still lives in Delaware was pregnant. So yeah, I have missed a lot of his life. I wish that they lived down the street and I'm trying to convince them to move down the street, but yeah, it's crazy. He's, he's very cute. And it is weird to, it changed the way I looked at myself, I guess, more than anything else, because now I have this, you're somebody's grandmother. You know, I I was maintaining some sort of (laughs) permanent immaturity, you know, that hasn't exactly gone away, but that in between, between that and me aging 10 years during the pandemic, I've really started to see It is weird when you get older, you're like, I don't feel older. I feel the same. I know more. You seem younger to me. Really? Interesting. Or at least you seem seem more vibrant. Mm. I feel like whatever you've done moving to Tennessee has been the right move for you. It has. I am definitely in a better spot. But yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody liked it, but it was ultimately the best thing for. I love it here, which is fucking nuts. I can't believe that. It was a weird move. Why of all things, Tennessee? Um, I it doesn't seem to lend itself to everything you're doing. Yeah, I, I fell in love. With, well, you know, I don't really participate in the place I live anyway. I've always been like that. I just kind of hide out in my house. But my partner already had a house here. And we were talking about moving, like him moving there. But then when the pandemic started, I was like, I don't want to be trapped in this apartment. And so I just kind of left for two weeks was the original plan because we didn't know what was going to go down. And then it really just seemed like society was going to collapse over the summer. And so I flew back after the initial couple week lockdown, I flew back, I threw all my stuff in storage, got rid of my apartment and then was like, we'll just see what's up. And then this is just how I live my life. So then a few months later, I was like, nah, I'm not going back to LA, but I'll move to Arizona. So then I got a house in Arizona and I lived there for four months. And then the Lyme disease came back after a brief recovery. And so then I came back to Tennessee for a few different reasons, but I needed to somewhere to be bedridden. I had a good time. I had a real, it was a real party in 2020. (laughs) And what kind of conversations do you have with your grandson? You mentioned that he has some sort of nickname for you. He calls me Alien Grandma. We mostly talk about robots. He's pretty concerned about robots and dinosaurs, you know, typical four-year-old conversations. But he calls me Alien Grandma. There was kind of a running joke before he was born where I was pretending to give a shit about having a grandma name. And so people were voting, you know, on my personal Facebook. And then we never settled on anything that we liked. And then my daughter told him that I was alien grandma when he was really little and it just stuck. So it's the cutest thing I've ever seen. And that's just, if that's what I am, that's what my mission to earth is to be the alien grandmother. It kind of makes sense. So how does that relationship compare to your two youngest kids? Because I've met your two youngest kids and they're both very cute and very funny in their own way. They're very smart. And they're probably closer in age to your grandkids than to your oldest daughter. Is that right? Yeah, because she was shit. She was 15 when Phoenix was born and I was pregnant at her high school graduation. So yeah, I mean, my... Relationship with my grandson has been negatively impacted by the fact that a pandemic broke out when he was like two, not even two, 18 months old. And then I got sick. So I've really like not lived in reality. So I didn't get better until like a year ago. And then I haven't done a great job of reentering society. I had some other stuff going on. So truly it's been about six months that I've been leaving the house and trying to reconnect with family. So unfortunately I missed a lot. I missed a lot of his early 
years. Good time to do it, if nothing else. Yeah. Since we all did. Oh, here's one for you. What were your grandparents like? I met your mother. She's a character as well. I could see how you are who you are. Mm. But what was your grandmother like? Um, I... <laughs> Her mom was not great. A lot of trauma and addiction in my family through the maternal bloodline. So I don't have like... She was not warm and fuzzy for sure. My dad's parents were cool, but I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of memories with them. My stepdad's mom was the grandparent I was closest to. The woman was a saint and was very involved in my life. And at, at times where I was a teenager and kind of getting in trouble with the law and stuff because my mom was on drugs, my grandmother step-grandmother technically stepped in and took care of me. But that's really the only like grandparents experience I had. And it was really just for a few years as a teenager. And so I could never understand people who were very close with their grandparents. I always thought it was weird because I couldn't relate to it. And now my kids are so close to my parents that they are having an experience that I don't really understand. And then obviously I want to have that with my grandson. I want him to have that as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because when you don't have a role model, you truly like don't know how to be those things. You know, like if your parents didn't model romantic love in a healthy way, you literally think that whatever they were doing or however they treated you is what love is. That's why we end up in relationships with people who don't love us back, or we think that they're supposed to be fighting all the time. And it's it's interestingly the same way with, I had a very difficult relationship with my mother because she was on drugs. And so my childhood was a mess. And it I've had to learn how to be a parent, learn how to be a mother through you know, like researching it on the internet. It doesn't come naturally to me because I didn't have one. And it's, it's... You also don't have that extra, you know, 20 years of time to settle into the idea that most people do. Yeah, I think there is kind of a natural... Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's... Grandparenthood is interesting because you have all the love and affection for the child that you do for your own children. Like the very first time I held him, I was like, oh, this feels like one of my own kids without the anxiety that comes with having one of your own kids. I mean, I know that people say like, oh, you love them and then you get to send them back, whatever. I haven't gotten to experience a lot of that stuff because like I said, sickness and, and whatever. But like the connection, he feels like one of my children. Like you can feel that energetic connection, that genetic connection, whatever it is, without the, there's just kind of this residual anxiety of having a child. It's like the drive to keep them alive or something, or the fear of losing them. I don't, I'm not describing it well. I, it, it is like a clean love, like a really clean love, where with your own kids, there's so much anxious attachment and stuff that with a grandchild, it's a really cool experience. So I am looking forward to getting into it more. But yeah, I also think, you know, he was born during that, uh, a pretty busy time in my career, which is unusual. And then also that midlife crisis. So it was like grandma's at the club, you know, it's not usually my vibe. (laughs) So I act much more like a grandmother now. So But yeah, it is a big difference between my parents who are like retired and have grandparent time, you know, and grandparent energy. In a perfect world, how would you like for that arrangement to look? You mentioned you'd like them to, you know, be closer, of course. But do you feel like you're settled in and you're comfortable staying in Tennessee for a long enough period of time that that sort of thing would make sense if they were to come to you? Yeah. Yeah, I, we bought a house. We're like, I'm not leaving. Yeah, I mean, I'd love them for them to live closer. He's also older now. For the first few years, he didn't want anyone near him, you know, except for his mom. And so I just respected that boundary. 
So he's really now kind of branching out and into all of us. By the time he's five, I envision doing something similar like, you know, my kids will go visit my parents now that they're older. They'll just go to my parents' house for like a week or whatever. So I envision something similar to that where he just comes and stays at the house and hangs yeah. with his, you know. Yeah, that's the. I guess that's the beauty. Your uh, grandma's supposed to be where yeah. now, Florida or something. Yeah. So what would you hope for your grandkids in their life? You've obviously had a really unique trajectory. Things seem to get a little more settled and settled through the generations in your family. How do you see their future? What would be ideal for you? I hope that the world's in a better place. I hope that we have collectively figured our shit out. I hope that he knows who he is and accepts that accepts his unique way of moving through the world. He's a Pisces, so I hope that he never loses his sensitivity and that he allows himself to be sensitive and have feelings. And I hope that he doesn't take on someone else's version of who he's supposed to be. And have to spend years trying to find his way back to himself, like most of us are having to do. I hope that the world is a place where everyone is free to just be who they are. Is there any particular quality in yourself that you would like to see reflected in them? And I realize you kind of covered a lot of that, but. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I guess the part that I've been like waking up to for the last couple of years is sensitivity. I'm actually a very sensitive person and the world, also a Pisces, the world I was born into was not safe for me to do that. Life was hard. The adults were mean and feelings were not exactly uh, embraced or held space for in the early eighties. And so I became this kind of like tough exterior person. That's not actually who I am. It was just kind of a defense mechanism. And that is a lot of what I've been unpacking over the last four years. I would love for not just him, but everyone, every child to not have to create an alternate version of themselves to survive in this world. And that we can just let kids be sensitive and let them be playful and imaginative and creative and not indoctrinate them into this game that we are not even enjoying. You know, it's like, yeah. stop having feelings so you can be more productive. For what? I don't know. We're being productive. That's what we're doing. We are, we are worker bees. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I know you're in high demand. I miss you terribly. I hope you come Aww. out here sometime soon. I think we can get one more in. What has it been like watching the relationship between your mom and your kids in relation to your relationship with your mom? How do you feel that you were raised differently than your kids are by your mom? Well, I was raised by an addict. And like I said, it wasn't great. I'm trying not to, you know, um, shit on my mom. But she got clean when my oldest was born. And so she has been able to be an influence in my kid's life that I believe has been like healing and kind of redeeming for her to get to connect with my children in a way that like she didn't connect with me. It has been, I don't know, bittersweet for me. I don't have a lot of resentments. I don't have any resentments really. I get it. And then I became a drug addict, so I get it. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I think out of all of us, my daughter is the one who is truly kind of breaking the family curse with her son. You know, she didn't succumb to addiction at any point. She is a very like caring, engaged parent. 
And I feel hopeful in seeing her that we have kind of closed out whatever that generational thing was that was going on in our family. And I think that my mom, because there was a point where we were living together and she was living with me in LA and she was taking care of the kids while I was on tour and stuff. And yeah, to me, it felt like some sort of, I don't know, some sort of like karmic, I don't mean karma, like punishment, but some sort of like connection that maybe we've had through multiple lifetimes of like pain and trauma and like her getting to parent my kids, which all my children just look like clones of me. That, that was healing for everyone involved, you know? And then my kids have had, like I said, they got to have a very close relationship with her. They're very close with my dad and stepmom. And so even though I, I didn't get that grandparent experience, my kids are getting it, you know? And then I, I want to have that with their children as well. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.